MSW Media. Hey, this is tennis legend Andy Roddick, and you're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn, a guy who's definitely been served more times than I have. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Welcome to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. I am Dan Dunn. Thanks for joining us today on the show. We've got a big one coming up in just a little bit. My old friend, one of the world's most celebrated nature wildlife photographers from National Geographic. He's a director. He's got a new movie out called Into the Grand Canyon. Pete McBride's going to be joining us in just a little bit. I'm, I'm very excited to catch up with Pete, and I think you're going to Love what this man has to say. He's just a fascinating individual. Um, uh, on the most recent episode, we had winemaker Trey Bush from Sleight of Hand Cellars in Walla Walla, Washington, joined us. And one of the things we we're talking about was the actor Stephen Amell, who has a he does a wine out of there called Knocking Point, where they they contract various winemakers to make wines for them. So lo and behold. It's like we jinxed him or something, but right out as soon as that episode aired, Jen yesterday news broke, came across the transom that said that uh, that knocking point recently received an F F like as in fuck from the Better Business Bureau after multiple complaints alleging that their orders were not delivered. People are not getting their orders from knocking point. I don't know what the hell's going on. According to the Better Business Bureau, they received 24 complaints over the past year. And some bad customer reviews about knocking point wines. Consumers reported that they've been unable to get hold of the business to find out about the status of their orders, get refunds, cancel their accounts. The Bureau says these customers are reporting they're continuing to be charged subscription fees. And boy, I just don't know. So I, when I got this news, I was dismayed. I had Andrew Harding and Stephen Amell on my previous podcast. Seemed like really nice guys. I said, running a good business. And as Trey Bush pointed out, they're one of the biggest wine clubs in the country right now. So Andrew Harding contacted Action News up there, I mean, up near uh, Walla Walla, and uh, he claimed that this situation was not accurate. He, it's KEPR-TV up there in, in Washington. Harding told them that they continue, they created new quarantine wine to raise money for COVID-19 response. Uh, they raised over a million dollars for charity he said he delivered this wine to over 50,000 customers. He is disappointed that the Better Business Bureau has decided to give Knocking Point an F rating after all the charitable work it has accomplished during the pandemic. And he also said he was never contacted by the Better Business Bureau. He released a statement saying we're very fortunate to have a Walla Walla based winery with such a large customer base across the country. And then he went on to talk about the, the charity thing they did. And you jump ahead a little bit. 
And he said, in the era of Amazon, customers begin to expect their orders from all retailers to show up almost instantly. And that's true. And there are a lot of challenges now getting things delivered. He said, we knew we were facing an interrupted supply chain when we took on this giant project in April. And we proactively provided weekly shipping update emails and social media posts. While order delivery was delayed longer than, quote, normal turnaround times, we got every single order out the door and delivered to every customer who ordered this special wine. Okay. So here's my take on this. They're saying, what, 24 complaints, 50 out of 50,000? Come on, people. You get an F rating for that? You know, uh, they had eight, eight, he says, oh, here it is. He says, in, in, we're fortunate to have nearly 100,000 direct consumer wine orders placed on our website. We've had 18 better business bureau complaints that result in an F rating. That's a point zero 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 one eight percent of all customers complaining. And I gotta go with I gotta go with Andrew and Steven on this one. This seems like bullshit. Bullshit. I'm calling bullshit. You hear me? That's right. But uh, if anybody else has any more information about this, I'd like to continue to follow this story. Hit me up at the Imbiber on Twitter and Instagram, and we'll keep going. We'll stay on this. I won't rest until I find out once and for all that every single customer for knocking point is satisfied. Oh boy. And, and, you know, I'm excited. I'm, I'm going to get some Thai food tonight. I love Thai food. I'm getting Thai food delivered. It's one of my favorite cuisines. And I got, and I did a little digging. It turns out two week, two years ago, or th- excuse me, three years ago this week on my former podcast that I did with Emma Pat- Patterson called Drinky Fun Time, we had famed celebrity chef Jet Tila was on the show talking about Thai food. And he was telling us about the best places to go in L.A. And I want to just play a little snippet because I feel like it's aspirational. You know, that we're going to be able to go again. And I know this is coming. And, and when that time comes, this is what Jet Tila has to say about Thai places in Los Angeles. So he wanted to see the first established Thai town in the country. And it's, it's six blocks on Hollywood Boulevard between Western and Normandy where you get the best Thai food in America. And that's what he was really kind of enamored with or amazed by. I mean, America, I think, as a country, look, New York has fine dining. It has a lot, it has a lot of big history of cuisine. But if we are talking about global influence cuisine, if we're talking about ethnic cuisine, the West Coast is where it's at. So that's what we have here, I think, on this coast. Jen, let me ask you this. Somebody's coming in for one, one night, one Oof. night only. Oof. They want to have the best Thai food. Where are you oh. sending them? Where, where do we go? You're getting me in trouble, bro. You know you're, you know you're, you're spark. Three. I'll give, give us three. three. Give How's us that? Three. Give me okay. three, and I'm still going to get my All butt right. chewed out. Give us three. Yeah, what are the rules here? What, I'm, what I can say? Whatever you want. I yeah, said you can, Oh, you can say anyway. ass. Okay, I can yeah. say ass. I can say my, I'm going to get my ass kicked by like every other Thai family in L.A. Thank you very much. But okay, if I, if I have to, I'm gun to my head. Northern Thai food, you're going to go to a place called Spicy Thai Barbecue. It's on Santa Monica and Normandy. Southern Thai food, you're going to go to Gelada's. Okay, okay, like world famous. And then you're going to go to a restaurant called Yai, Y-A-I. It's a little strip mall next to 7-Eleven. Bobby Flay and I have a standing uh, uh, mandate every uh, season when he's shooting Food Network Star at Yai's restaurant. So you might see us there. So. That's <laughs> awesome. So what, what, just quickly the difference between northern Thai and southern Thai yeah, yeah you know it's it's not that different I mean you can kind of compare it to American cuisine because you know um, in nor- northern Thailand is all dense forest 
lot of uh, uh, animals, right? So we eat a lot of uh, livestock, etc., pork, beef, etc. The south, south, south of Thailand, as you think about like the movies, like like the beach or the Adam and Sea, Phuket, etc. Yeah. So uh, seafood. Uh, the center, we've got this big thing called the Mekong River that runs all the way through. So we have a lot of freshwater fish. So wow. we have four culinary regions. They're all completely unique. They're all amazing. But uh, that's the kind of the easy way to differentiate the four um, the eating areas of Thailand. Jatila, good man, great chef, great man, great man, great chef. Give him great across the board. A little later in the show, I'm going to be addressing some comments and questions I've gotten on social media from everybody. But right now, I want to get to our guest. So let's do that. My guest has spent two decades studying the world with a camera. He has documented remote expeditions from Everest to Antarctica, and his photojournalism has appeared in many prestigious high-profile publications, including National Geographic and Smithsonian. His latest project is a fantastic feature-length documentary called Into the Grand Canyon, which is airing now on the National Geographic channel, and I couldn't recommend it higher. Please welcome to the show my old pal, Pete McBride. Thanks, Dan. Good to see you, buddy. Good to see you, man. I wish it was in person, but, you know, we can't always get what you want. How So I want to jump right in and talk about this movie. I saw an article that popped up, and I and I saw this looks interesting, and I didn't know it was yours. And then I did some reading, and I watched it, and it, it was gorgeous. So tell us about this film. Uh, so the film is... Uh... It started out as a magazine story, and um, w- the concept was to look at our public lands and our national parks in a different way. Um, and I had this idea. I'd been reading this book about a guy who'd walked the length of the Grand Canyon back in 1960. And um, I was like, well, hell, I, why don't I just walk it, follow his this guy's you know footsteps, so to speak. And um, just to put it, you know, there's trails all over the world. You know, there's there's the the Pacific Crest Trail, there's the Appalachian Trail. Um, you can hike in the Grand Canyon. There is no trail from end to end. So what ended up being kind of what seemed like a really cool romantic idea ended up being a real slog. Um, but um, the, the hiking really, as hard as it was, it was really just a backbone to look at this place and how lucky we are to have it and how we're passing it forward to the next generation. Are we keeping it as it is as a national park? Or are we kind of slowly changing it and tweaking it and adding more whistles and bells and making it less wild? And so the film is really, it's a slog with a buddy, a dear friend named Kevin Fedarko, 800 miles without a trail, um, up and down roughly hundred thousand vertical feet um, through the course of a year. Um, and looking at um, different development pressures in this place, looking at native tribes and resource extraction, that kind of stuff. When you say the course of a year, so initially you had an ambitious plan. You were just going in and you guys are going to hike this thing straight through. You got to, there was a guide, somebody you knew who's, I guess, the leading expert on hiking through the Grand Canyon. And he was instructing and helping you out. You guys went in balls to the wall. Here we go. And it wasn't long before your feet were thrashed, your bodies were thrashed, and you had to pull out of there, right? And and rethink the whole plan again. Tell us a little bit about that. So this guy, Rich Rudeau, he's he's hiked more than anybody that's alive right now that in the Grand Canyon. He's pioneered new routes and figured out these secret slot canyons. And, and I heard he was going to do a through hike without stopping. And I talked to him and he's like, well, you could come with us for a section. And I was like, great. And 
being a photographer and a filmmaker, I brought a bunch of my cameras and lenses as, you know, I didn't have a crew. And I mean, he looked at me and said, you got too much weight. And he looked at Kevin, my buddy, the writer. He's like, you guys have too much weight. We're like, oh, no, we've, you know, we've traveled around the world. We, We got this. And in literally five days, we were so smacked down. Um, and my feet looked like hamburger um, covered in scrapes and cactus. And then I actually got really sick. I got my electrolyte imbalance so severe, I, I was basically going unconscious. It's this case called, um, it's the opposite of dehydration. It's called um, hyponatremia. And you get your body salt, internal body salt, so low that you basically can slip into coma unconscious coma and dead in that order pretty quickly. Jesus Christ, man. And you, and how, what would, what was that feeling like? This was out in the Canyon you were getting this? Yeah. I just suddenly got weaker and weaker. It was extremely hot when we started one of these, you know, heat waves more common now that we're seeing, but it was 112 degrees. I I don't do well if I have to hike a hundred yards in that temperature, but I'm carrying 60 pounds and I'm trying to film and um, I just started getting weaker and weaker. And then I started losing my vision and I kept thinking I was dehydrated because I wasn't peeing. So I kept drinking more water and exacerbating. I was drinking salt too and electrolytes, but I just was way behind. And, uh, it's actually the leading cause of death in the Grand Canyon it happens to guides, rafting guides, you know, tourists, everybody. I would think falling would be the leading cause of death. Falling is up there, but this actually happens to a lot of people that are down there all the time. Taking selfies and plummeting to your fucking death. This is a conversation that I had with a friend earlier, and this very thing came up. Because I said when history's written long after you and I are gone, I think humankind's inability or, or learning to figure out how to adjust to the internet is going to be the the... the the single most influential factor on how this era of history was written, because I think so many of the bad things that happened. So for instance, we're having wildfires here in Colorado, I mean, in California, but Hey, they're having a boy. Like that's what happened. They, they did a gender reveal because they want to put it on fucking social media. Right. And like all these things. And you hear about these people that are dying because you know what, if I can just get a little closer to the edge of the grand Canyon, I'm going to get that picture where you can see the water 4,000 feet below me. If I just move out a little bit, ah, I think that's going to play a big role is like human beings. It's like they have this toy that they can't hand. It's like giving a Ferrari and a case of beer and the keys to the Ferrari to a teenage boy and going, go get him. You know what I mean? Like, go, go find a, you know, and put him on Independence Pass, one of the most windy roads. Go see what you can do, kid. And that's kind of how it is. You know, people are equipped with these cameras and the internet and, the, and they're literally making decisions that are killing themselves and others. And, and honestly, that was part of the, you know, big discussion of this whole project. You know, we didn't, do did we want to go in and reveal this place with cameras? but you know, that's part of the balance too, is, you know, there's stupidity. There's the, you know, the Darwin awards happening on the rim, but we're trying to also show that is this place more than just an amusement park? That's just, is this place more than a backdrop to your, your social media, your Instagram? And I would argue it is. And that's why we, we went on this, you know, what became an epic journey, but the film highlights why this place is more than that. It's not, an amusement park. We got plenty of those. It's, it's, it's about, you know, understanding 
the world around us, the, the natural world around us. It's actually pretty cool if you if you get a lift your gaze up from the screen for two seconds, which I get it is hard during COVID. But one of the things that you handle really well in the film, all of it's well, but you handle it all well in the film. But one of the things that you address is certainly this thing that's been going on for a long time. I used to live in Arizona is the efforts to try to develop in the grand Canyon, to try to make money off the grand Canyon to try to, you know, to tourism. And, and there was a, I don't want to give away what happens in the movie, but there was a, they wanted to build a tram in one of the most beautiful and, and not, and also sacred to the native Americans areas of the grand Canyon. And the, the, the the people that want to do that, that want to exploit the Grand Canyon, how they try to sell it. First of all, they, they try to sell it. It's really sickening to me to these communities that we, that for reasons that are not their own fault, don't have any money and have been starved. So it's like, Hey, we'll dangle this carrot here. We're going to give you a little bit of money. And all you got to do is, you know, sell off your sacred land to us. But, and then they try to present it as though human beings have a right to go everywhere. And that makes me nuts because that's what I say. Oh, most people can't don't have the physical ability to hike down into the Grand Canyon. Well, guess what? Good, good. You know, like <laughs> what most people can't do everything. Yeah, no shit. Like, and there's a reason for that. You know, so yeah. if if you make everything accessible to everything to everybody, then everything gets ruined. You know, it, it's just it's amazing to me. And that's and I won't give away what happens in the movie, but you certainly put a focus on the greed heads that are, you know, the helicopter thing. I've been to the Grand Canyon and the helicopter thing is really, really sad and it makes me angry. You can't enjoy yourself. The serenity and the beauty of the place is just ruined. What is that area, Pete, where they allow the helicopters? That's uh, that's Western Grand Canyon. And it's um, it's now called Heli Alley. Like we took a section and now we, we've renamed it. And, you know, I love helicopters. I mean, they're great tools and for transport, for filming, for what I do, but there's, there's, you know, there has to be a balance somewhere. Like you said, we just, we, we cannot figure out a balance in these things. We we're really good at trashing places. Absolutely. uh, These parks are some of the last places we have, you know, that aren't totally trashed. They're heading that way. Sadly, a lot of them, but you know, I think that's what we need to kind of use them as, Maybe now that with COVID, people realize we need places like this because we're so cooped up at home. We got to go and have places actually chill out and be quiet and get away from our screens and our toys and our beeps and all that jazz. But I think there's definitely going to be a new appreciation. I know me personally, I've I've made a few uh, little road trips in this area, and that's one of the one of the the beauties of living in California is that there's so much, you know, that you go two hours this way and you're in the desert, you go two hours this way, you're in the mountains and you, and you go for me to five minutes this way and I'm at the ocean. I've taken these trips and I got to tell you, I've been moved to tears. I went to, uh, to the high desert uh, last week near Joshua tree and moved to tears just being, and things that I've done before that I took for granted. I suddenly go, Oh man, I'm never going to take this stuff for granted again. The next time I can go sit in a restaurant, by the way, in a nice restaurant and have a nice meal with a bunch of people and get up and walk to the bar and pat somebody on the back, that's going to be special too. But the nature part of it is is uh, yeah. something I I think there's going to be a new value placed on that. Yeah. And you can now go two minutes and you can be in a wildfire, just yeah. like I can here too. Everything's burning here. So, but 
Yeah, I think that's uh, hopefully we'll we'll be reminded of you know how it's important and and that we can't turn you know just because it's beautiful. There's this notion we want to turn beauty into cash wherever we can, and that's what kind of the film was kind of we're trying to highlight that and because we don't we're not aware of it and you know I'm not trying to bang up on everybody in the film and helicopters like get people need to make money especially these native tribes that's where these helicopters land and the the Wallapai tribal community and they have they don't have any other way to make income so I get it but we need to have certain regulations so we don't just totally love these places to death absolutely and but to to what you were saying a little bit earlier I had a conversation once with a friend who knew Anthony Bourdain. No one could know except Anthony Bourdain and he's gone. But my friend's theory beyond, you know, would have possible medications and things, but why someone, you know, that was always the question. Like, why would a guy like Anthony Bourdain take his own life? Right. My friend's theory was that he was most celebrated for. And the thing that everybody pointed out was what made his life so amazing was he got to go and see all these places and meet all these people and do all and go to the most remote areas of the world something that you do and i want to get your your perspective on this and my friend said that what he thought was happening was bourdain was also got to witness how so many of these things were being ruined and exploited and and how money and the pursuit of and greed was starving these people and and a lot of things were getting ruined and i know that's maybe a bleak way but that that was one of the things that really depressed him that made him sad the fact that he got to see the world and maybe didn't like what he what he saw altogether now you've been doing this a long time do you notice a change from when you first started traveling the world and going to all these remote places to to now and again, yeah, the internet, yeah. and by, by the way, just to point, say, I also say that has so much to do with the internet because I remember when you and I first knew each other in, in Aspen back in the nineties, you know, the internet barely existed. And the only way I would hear about these places were from people like you like, oh man, we went to Costa Rica. We went there. Now everybody has access to every place, one click and they go, oh, I'm going to go there. And that there's a good part to that, but there's also a real downside to that, right? Yeah, it's double-edged. We didn't even have cell phones then when I knew you. No, man. I had to wait for you on the block, man. Yeah, and it was great. <laughs> I don't feel like I missed out, really. You know, I was like, where's it? I think it was maybe richer. But yeah, I've seen the world change in front of my eyes. And it's partly what I do now is I focus a lot of things on freshwater. So just an example, before I did the Grand Canyon Project, the reason I did it is that I did a project where I followed the Colorado River from its source to the to the sea but the river doesn't reach the sea anymore. And I didn't even know that. And I grew up on the river and I was like, wow, this, how do I know, how do people know more about, you know, Justin Bieber than they do about where their water comes from? Because they're leaching the water and like that, like Phoenix and places like that. Yeah, We've yeah. got too many straws and we're sucking it dry and, and we killed this amazing estuary. And so I was invited to the Grand Canyon to give a talk about what happened to the river. So I'd seen a river that I grew up with disappear then I go to the Grand Canyon and I figure, well, this is a national park, you know, I'll give a talk about the river, but the park's protected. And when I was there, everybody's like, no, you have no idea what's going on here. They're doing this. There's a tram, there's mining, there's helicopters, there's a huge, you know, water ski park they want to build, blah, blah, blah. And I was <laughs> like, really? <laughs> it's so making my blood boil as you're saying it. But one interesting thing is, you know, back to the beginning of the trip where we got our, our asses handed to us is, um, 
that would the, the great lesson in that, which I think the Grand Canyon and a lot of these wild places teach us is humility. And it, you know, we are not in control of the planet. We're not, and we need to be, give these places respect. I mean, the Grand Canyon will beat you down so quickly if you don't respect it. And it's not, you know, just a one click spot you go. Um, and I think the good side is you give it respect and you go, you don't need to go to the bottom. You can have just as much of an impact from it by just sitting on the darn rim in quiet and being like, wow, I'm actually a little smaller than I thought I was in a good way, not in like a depressing way. Makes you think about that, you know, there's bigger things out there than us and our little orbits that we think is so important in our social media, et cetera. Amen, so those, I think uh, our parks and these places like that, they don't have to be the Grand Canyon. They can be your backyard, frankly, have value in being untouched. Hopefully we can try to keep, keep you know, keep doing that. But This is a uh, show called What We're Drinking, so I should probably undepress my listeners at this point. Let me ask you about, so first of all, I guess when you're doing a trip like that, you're, you're not, do you have any, do you bring any, do you ever have anything to drink when you're on that trip? Is it, you know, is there any sort of a, maybe a bottle of champagne, something to celebrate or no? Totally. Oh, you did. When you were in the Grand Canyon, you had wine. What did, so we, so we went, we hiked 800 miles, roughly 15 to 16 miles a day with a heavy pack. The whole time you're thinking about what your next drink is going to be mainly water because you're drinking you're thirsty the whole time and so you're always and you're drinking you know mucky water but then we cash our food in these buckets and we have friends that left them and they gps tag it and take pictures and the gps didn't work so we could find our our buckets of food mostly freeze-dried crap and almonds I basically lived on almonds and mangoes dried mangoes but our buddy that did it and every food cash he would leave a bottle of booze and tequila or or some like relatively you know cheap red wine and when you arrive starving thirsty and you come to the bottom of your food cash bucket after like 12 days of walking 15 miles a day and you come to a bottle of wine or <laughs> tequila it's really hard to figure out how to like you know parse it out plus you don't want to carry it because it's heavy so and how are those how are those hikes the next day after you polished <laughs> off a bottle of tequila and now it's 102 in the Grand Canyon? Yeah, and then you're just crushed and you're further, you know, down the path of getting sick and not moving. But it's it was a treat. So we didn't do it every time, but I I guarantee you we had some some well-earned cocktails. Nice. And I and I should point out to everybody that the thing that really struck me the most about the movie beyond the activism and the, and the, and and Pete telling the story of what's going on is the sheer beauty. I mean, it, it's such a beautiful film and you, you, uh, your, your reputation as a photographer precedes you, but it looks so good. And then also it freaked me the hell out. I, I called Jerry. I, I was texting with you. I think we were on the phone and we talked about it and I said, man, you, I was getting so nervous because you were, you were so close to the edge and it was a very similar feeling I had to when I watched Free Solo, the movie about Alex Honnold uh, climbing El Capitan, I knew he made it. I saw him at the Oscars after they did it. I knew he was alive. But yet when I was watching that movie, I, I, it was, again, moving me to tears and making me very, very uncomfortable. And I'm saying, no, no, Jesus, don't. And I, that was happening with, in your film as well. And I was pretty sure you were still alive too. <laughs> did, 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 did he get... Does it freak you out when you're up there? I mean, you were walking. How? What's the highest point you were 
walking right on the edge? How high up? Uh, there's there's a couple sections where we walked uh, probably on an edge with 3,000 vertical feet. So basically the equivalent of what Alex climbed was dropping below us. Uh, maybe, you know, there were some shelves in it. So maybe it was, if you fell, you'd probably go clean a thousand feet and then bounce and do another couple. And you were one stumble away from that. I mean, you're walking right on the edge, right? If you, yeah, if you've got some loose rock. Or- it looks crazy, but, but what's interesting is the edge is where all the rocks fall off. So it's like a, it's like a sidewalk and there's, and it's flat. You go up from the edge a little bit and it's 45 degrees with marbles on it. And so when you're up on that, you're further away from the edge, but you feel like you're going to kick out and do the the bounce and slip off the edge. So if you just walk right on the edge and don't let your mind play tricks on you, it's actually easier and safer in a really weird (laughs) logic, but you get, you just get comfortable. The more you're out there, the more you're doing it. And at times maybe too comfortable, but you, you, you get really in tune with your body and your surroundings. Well, the obvious dangers, which we talked about that one. And then we also talked about the, the extreme weather conditions and, and, and the things that can do to your body. Do you have to worry about wildlife out there? Snakes and things like that. Is that, is that a real possible danger? Snakes are, are a concern, but we did a lot of it in the colder temperatures and they're pretty dormant and they're frankly, they're not out to hurt you. Um, if you step on them, they'll defend themselves and you can get bitten and that'd be bad. Scorpions. You look for scorpions. You don't want to get stung by a scorpion. Oh, I got, I got, I got bit. I, when I lived in Arizona, oh so man, you know. not fun. <laughs> I, I got, I got stung by a scorpion in bed. Yeah. That's where they get you. I felt like I was having a dream that my upper body was on fire. And then I woke up as soon as I woke up, it felt like someone had gotten me with a hot, cattle prod in my shoulder it was where it got me on the shoulder is that what that pad is yeah exactly no that's a <laughs> know what that is know where i got this we're talking about a tattoo on my shoulder this is don't get <laughs> fucked up with your cousin dennis mcglynn you know my cousin and go yeah. to see calamity jane i think it was in carbondale colorado way back in the aspen days it was the very first tattoo i ever got people go what is it i go i don't know I think I was on mushrooms and I was like, just put that thing on my arm for the rest of my life. It's a circle. If anybody can see this, tell me what it, looks, it is. Cool. It looks kind of like a scorpion winding its way around your shoulder. No, I got the Hunter Thompson tattoo. I got the clash right here, but this one, I don't know what it is. But anyway, I, uh, so I, I woke up and I must've swatted and I turned the light on and I was, I just grabbed my arm immediately. I was like, what? And then I looked down on the floor and I saw this thing on the floor and it wasn't a big guy. It, so it turns out it was what's called a bark scorpion and they're mm-hmm. the smaller ones, but they hurt you more. Okay. But they hurt. So I, I went and got a piece of Tupperware and put it over top of this thing. And I, I, and then it was hurting so bad that I went to the hospital and I took the scorpion with me and they said, yeah, it was bark scorpion. He bit you. And they gave me, I don't, I think they might've given me an anti-venom or something like that. But my, yeah. my arm for about two weeks, like it felt like I had taken a punch to the shoulder from Mike Tyson in his prime. It was swollen and it really hurts. So I can't imagine getting bitten in the Grand Canyon and having to hike on. Yeah, I, that didn't happen, thankfully. A buddy of mine got bit by a mouse. A mouse? Um, yeah, there's there's mice. Mice you know, bite they, you? Well, they're looking for food. And it was they run over your face. It's horrible. Oh. That's probably the worst thing. Um, that, uh, we we you see a lot of, we follow sheep, um, vultures. We follow mountain lion. But we never saw the mountain lion, but we follow the tracks. They're like, they're the stealthy guide. But they don't want to come for you either, right? No, no. 
So there's really nothing out there to get you. I mean, really, the cactus was just like nemesis. The jump, the jump. They call it the jumping cactus too. That just yeah, gets, yeah. jumping cactus, beaver tail. There's so many cactus, and every time you get tired, you take your you know your your gaze down and you step into a cactus and you're just like oh. And then they, you get them embedded in your skin. I had to have some surgically removed. I came oh, out. Wow, that sounds so painful, long. man. A doc, I have a buddy who's a doc, and he's like, well, I think you got needles in there. I'm going to go fishing. So he just deadened up my ankle with me watching and cut in there and was like, oh, yeah, here's one. Oh, God, Pete, that sounds terrible. <laughs> Did you, I, I, I was wondering this as I was watching the movie, because you are out my brain goes to weird places. And so it's, it's the beauty and all that's there. But then I'm also like, Oh my God, if like a serial killer psycho guy happened to be there, you're, you're in the middle of nowhere. Do you carry anything like a, any sort of a weapon in case of a mountain lion or a human being or you No, we didn't. But the funny story is, so we're out in, in Western grand Canyon in this section that's really remote. Nobody goes to. And, um, it's brutal. And Kevin is, we're having a terrible day. It's hotter than hell and we're not finding water and we're sort of grouchy. And we come along this trail and here comes an ATV. The first time we'd ever seen anybody on the whole time, except outside of like the main tourist area, this guy's coming for us. And we stopped and looked at each other and like, should we be worried? Like, is this going to be weird? And the guy was kind of had the same thing and he was tentative. And then finally we meet and say hi. And it was fine. And he's like, man, I thought you guys might've been survivors of a plane crash. Because that's how so, remote it is out there. Yeah. He couldn't figure out what we, how we got there and what we're doing on foot. And, and we look like shit. And so people, so people understand you're so far out that if something happened to you, if you broke your ankle, stepped on a, you're in serious trouble out there, right? I mean, you do have a you do have a satellite phone and all that, but if didn't have a sat phone, we had a satellite text device. But un un you know the park service is not going to come swoop you up when when you get injured. You're on your own. They might come get your body when they when you don't report in after you know a day or two. Really, but, I I, th- I would I would have thought most people would believe that that's what they know. That's your your own risk out do, there. But where we where we were in a lot of places, it's so remote and so hard to get to but if you get injured getting a, a helicopter rescue is pretty unlikely it's feasible in certain areas but not everywhere so you all know we're, we are talking about into the grand canyon it's pete mcbride's movie it's available on national geographic channel you can get that through your disney plus or if you still have cable if you haven't cut the cord yet and you had the nat geo channel i i couldn't recommend it more you're actually up possibly for an emmy nomination right you're going to find out soon yeah, uh, September twenty second. We're up against uh, David Attenborough. That guy. Critic. I know he's didn't, one too. Didn't he many. just die though? Didn't he just die? I don't think so. Oh, I thought he did. Did, he? did somebody? Hope, did somebody not. die? Oh, well, I'm sure me, now I got to look this up. Hold on a second here, <laughs> Dave. I'm, I'm putting him in the grave here, David Attenborough. Let's see. Um, he is. He is. That's the first thing you do when you go to Wikipedia. It just says the name, and then it either says is or was. And I'm he's 94 years old. He's not dead. I'm sorry, David yeah. Attenborough. I'm sorry, David Attenborough fans are like, what? Ah, still alive. No, uh, he's a legend. So we're up against a you know a, a very expensive TV series that he did, and another f- few films. Some friends of mine that made some films. So it's fun to have my friends 
in the process. But my one time to get to, invited to a red carpet party, uh, I will be in my living room watching it on Zoom. Because of COVID. Damn it. Yeah. So. One other question for you before I let you go here, Pete. So you've been all around the world. I mean, to some of the most far-flung places on this planet. What's some of the weirdest stuff you've drank? Outside of Grand Canyon, where I, I had to squeeze water out of cow manure. I'm talking about adult beverages here. Um, I had, um, what's the weirdest drink? That one probably was an adult beverage because it had petrified so much. But uh, <laughs> weirdest drink, um, I had a camel milk with rum. Oh, how was that? It wasn't good. Not good. What is cam? What I, I didn't even know camels could be milked. Yeah, oily. 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 <laughs> Not a quality I look for in my uh, cocktails. You know, uh, yeah. can you make put a little extra oil in there? Huh? Drop a little. <laughs> can you put some Wesson? I'd like a gin and tonic with a little Wesson in there. Yeah, <laughs> just some Wesson. Put it in. Yeah. This is like gear oil. <laughs> well, I've had, I mean, I, I have been. To the, you've been to the Dominican Republic. I haven't. Oh, so I've been there several times. It's stuff like they have a thing called mamawana, which what? is a rum, and they they steep it with every herb and thing they can find, and they just stuff it all in the bottle. And there's twigs and everything else in there. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm gonna actually have a pitbull, the artist pitbull singer, uh-huh. is gonna be on a sh- my show soon, and he is going to start importing mamawana to the United States. So that's really? right. it's not gonna be the same mamawana that you get in. Santa Domingo or something like that. I mean, the thing about Dominican Republic is they have all the beach communities, the resort communities, but I've been into the, into the cities and things like that. And that's where you get someone will pour you a glass and you think, well, where's this been? Well, hopefully the distillation will have taken care of whatever's. Have you been, have you been to Peru? I have not been to Peru. No. So up in the, up in the Peru, up in the, the Himalaya, they make a beer, which the, they basically they chew the corn and then spit it in to the to this big tub and that saliva activates the corn to start the process to turn it into a brew. So you're wow. drinking like a, a corn spit brew, which it, it's pretty good actually. You knows like, that and you go, well, I'm getting bad breath here. Yeah. <laughs> I think I what are you getting on the nose here? It's a little uh, plaque. I'm getting a little coffee breath. <laughs> Dental plaque, I think, in there. Yeah. Because you know they're not brushing their teeth in Peru that often, that much. Not that often. Not that, you know, they got yeah. They got some... But it does its job. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pete, I I really appreciate you joining. I you mentioned before we got on the air that you're actually headed back to the Grand Canyon tomorrow. I am. I'm actually going to meet some friends down there and go um, kayak the upper section, which will be a good way to go isolate. And uh, how long? How long is that trip going to take? It's seven days, and I won't be carrying my life on my back and um might actually have a few more adult beverages available than every just food cash so it'll be nice yeah those rafts can carry a case of beer no problem they've been i've, I've heard they can carry a, a case or two i am what do i have exciting going up in the adventure world you're gonna get pitbull to teach you some merengue or, or you know reggaeton or something that guy's got that guy's got a limitless supply of energy i've watched some of his videos man he goes he goes for it pitbull yeah you bring I wish you the best, man. I really hope that you get this Emmy nomination. It's it's a movie I, I recommend to everybody. Check it out. Into the Grand Canyon, Nat Geo channel. Oh, Pete, where can people find uh, to look at some of your work, your photography? You on the social medias? Uh, I'm an Instagram guy, so Pedro McBride. Pedro um, McBride. For those of you who don't know, Pedro is Spanish for Pete. His name's Pete. Pedro. 
<laughs> See, got that. Pete McBride, everybody. He was taken, so we went with Pete McBride, everybody. Great, great seeing you, man. Great to see you. Thanks. Folks, I've never admitted this on the show before, but I'm a guy. Yeah, it's true. And as a guy, I'm here to tell you that so much of our identity is wrapped up in our hair. That's why when we get into our 20s and 30s and start noticing the first signs of hair loss, it definitely feels like panic time. Because let's face it, no guy is ever ready to go bald. Thankfully, now there's Keeps, the simple and easy way to keep your hair. You can visit a doctor online and get hair loss medication delivered right to your home. So you can say goodbye to pharmacy checkout lines and awkward doctor visits. Keeps treatments typically take between four to six months to see results, so it's important to act fast. The sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you'll save. Treatments start at just $10 per month. Plus, for a limited time, you can get your first month free. That's right, free. How? Well, if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash drinking. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash drinking to receive your first month of treatment for free. Take care of your hair and your hair will take care of you. You got to keep the hair. You got to keep it. You lose it. You lose more than just something to keep your head warm. Pride and all that other stuff. Anyway, as threatened at the top of the show, I wanted to um, get to some uh, questions that people have posed on the social medias because it's important to me to engage and to keep you informed and to be there for you. I want to be there for you. When you got questions, I'm here at the Imbiber, Twitter, Instagram, anytime, night or day. Reach out. Sarah T on Twitter wrote and Asked, no, she didn't ask. She just wrote and said, I love the show, but wish you had a few more female guests. And Sarah, I wholeheartedly agree. I wish I had more female guests as well because I like females first and foremost. But the, you know, the thing is, this business sadly is still predominantly male, although women have made tremendous progress in the industry and it's getting better and better week in and week out. But the celebrity portion of it as well. And that's what we drives this show a lot are celebrities that are in the adult beverage game. And most of them are male still, but we do have Christy Brinkley coming on the show soon. She's got a sparkling wine. She's going to be on here. Bellissima. And we're working on getting Cameron Diaz. Who's also got a wine. So bear with me, Sarah T. I'm, I'm trying. We got Elias. What is it? Elias OK3 on Instagram writes, football season is here, so I'll be drinking all day every Sunday. Can you offer any tips for preventing hangovers? No, Elias, I can't because I don't try to prevent hangovers. I simply accept the pain. Such masochism, no doubt connected to being a lifelong Philly sports fan. Okay, fine. Maybe start with not drinking all day, all day, Sunday, Elias. Let's try holding off till, you know, noon. Valerie D74 on Twitter asks, if you were stranded on a deserted island, you can only have one bottle of alcohol, what would it be and why? A deserted island? Well, that's easy. I'd go with a nice dessert wine. Robert Green on Facebook asks, what's in a Long Island iced tea? 
Well, Robert, I'd say a future hangover. Somebody hose me down, please. I am on fire today. And finally, BWG222. So interesting. It's a mouthful. BWG222 on Instagram asked, People say you shouldn't mix hard liquor and beer. What do you think? Well, BWG, people say lots of stupid things, and I've found that nothing drowns out the meaningless drivel quite like a few stiff boiler makers. In fact, your message just got me inspired. So I'm out of here, okay? Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Pete McBride. Check out Pete's movie, Into the Grand Canyon, on Nat Geo. And I'll catch you on the next episode.